Good morning. So good to see so many faces this morning, and if you're a guest with us, then we are honored that you're here, and uh, we're excited that you came to spend a portion of your Sunday with us and hope that you'll find a church family here at Central with us. We are now uh, technically week four, but, but week three really, into a series that we're calling Next Steps. And so the idea behind it was that a few weeks ago, we kind of laid the framework of that all of us uh, are at a position in our lives where we can take a next step in our faith. Um, for some of us, it is the very first step of, you know, we're, we're not even Christians yet, we're just considering it. The next step would be to, to devote our lives to Christ and to begin that journey. Some of us are new Christ followers, and, and the next step for us is going to be continuing and deepening that faith and, and to serve God more fully. Some of you have been serving God your entire life for 50 years or more, and there's still next steps that need to be taken. And so the idea was that we're going to look, and I ask you to make five commitments, and if you would, that if you take little baby steps in each one of those five, that your faith will grow by the end of our series together. Um, it's kind of a three-pronged approach. We start with the Sunday morning messages. Uh, on Thursday mornings, we have a Facebook Live devotional. If you're not on our Facebook page, uh, it's on the front of the bulletin. I encourage you to, to connect with those. Um, they're also on YouTube. And then on Saturday uh, afternoons, I'll send you kind of a thought to get you ready for this morning. I hope you're engaging with all of those. I know a lot of you are. And, and through this, we are going to uh, continue in our Next Step series. I want to remind you of... Um, our, our verse, kind of our theme verse coming from the book of James chapter 2. Of course, James chapter 2 and verse 17, which reminds us that faith without works is dead. And so we want to make sure that we're moving, that Christianity is an active faith. And today we've looked at uniting together in corporate worship. We've looked at um, joining together in unity. And today we're looking at learning to grow with one another, from one another. How do we gain spiritual maturity. As we grow throughout our lives, we will, until the day we die, we should continually be striving to, to grow more, to learn more, to become more what God and Christ would have us to be. And so today, I want to look through six ways to help us grow spiritually. The first three, you're going to kind of think, well, these are pretty obvious. I could have guessed these. This is, uh, I need a little bit more. But the last three, I think you're, you, might, uh, you might not have thought of before, might pique your interest a bit, some, some a little bit more outside-the-box ways that God uses to help us grow spiritually. But I want to go through the first three that are kind of foundational for us. First one is to dive headfirst into God's Word. Now, I wrote it that way particularly because I want you to have a sense of, of reckless abandon when we're going into God's Word. So many times... You and I, we talked about this during our prayer series. We study God's Word, but we do it on our terms. We go to the verses that we know won't really interrupt our lifestyle too much. We go to the, verse, the, the verses that we're familiar with. Instead of God reading the Bible the way that God would have us to be, which is to study His Word in its entirety, verses that make us uncomfortable and verses that uh, give us joy and comfort, there should be an equal measure of both. So this idea of diving headfirst into God's Word is one that I want you to embrace, and it seems similar to just saying, I'm going to study the Bible. But diving headfirst into God's Word is a sense of, I'm going to go where the Spirit leads me to go, and I'm going to study what God would have me to study. If it disrupts my life, then that's what God is showing me that needs to happen. 
It's a sense of, I'm going to go, I don't know where God's going to lead me through my Bible study, but I'm going to dive into his word wherever uh, it leads us. Look in John 14 and verse 21. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love them and show myself to them. Have you connected the idea of studying God's Word? We talked about this on our Wednesday night Bible study. We talked about how to study the Bible and how just knowing information is is not the point. It's how are we able to take it and put it into action, that, that our faith is an active faith. Here in John 14, it says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. It's an active thing. It's not just knowing the commandments. It's taking those things and applying them in our everyday life. This is the idea of diving headfirst, that we're going to find God's commandments for us, whether we we know them already or not. We're going to dive headfirst into his word, and then we're going to keep the things that we learn. And if we do that, Christ says, I will love you. The Father will love you. And, and that when the time comes, God, uh, Christ says, the ones who are, are following me, that are keeping my commandments, my Father will honor them. There's a connection between our study of God's Word, our action in God's Word, and our relationship with God. You know, that might sound simple, but a lot of times we, we separate those two things. I've got my Bible study, and then I've got my relationship with God, when in reality, they're hand in hand. They should be. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Being a Christian is an active thing. Dive into God's word. Number two, be around God's people. Be around God's people. Now, this is certainly, there's a little bit of an asterisk here. Because as Christians, our job is by definition to go out and and reach people that are not yet God's people. So this is certainly not an all-inclusive. But we were talking about it in our young adult Bible class this morning that, that as Christians, we come together on Sundays to refuel ourselves. We come on Sundays to get recharged, to get refueled, being with God's people. That fellowship encourages us. But that is not the goal of Christianity. And far from it. In fact, God says that we're to come together to be encouraged, to be built up. But then he says, I want you to go back out into the world around people that aren't yet mine, and I want you to bring them to me. And I want you to bring them here, and then they're going to get built up, they're going to be encouraged, then I'm going to send them out to go find more people that aren't yet God's people. But this fellowship, this idea of being built up is something that benefits us spiritually. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Being around together Being around other Christians builds us up. It is a mutually beneficial relationship. Because we talk about this many times, talking about the church as a body. That there are things that you are proficient in that you don't struggle with that I do. There are things that you struggle with that I don't. And we encourage each other by being together. We strengthen each other by being together. Now remember, this is not the goal. It's to come in, to be recharged, to be built back up, and then to go back out into the world and bring others here who need that same benefit that you and I have already received. But being around God's people helps us grow spiritually. Number three is to grow through God's Spirit. We've done lessons on the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the power of God. 
I want to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. It says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we look in the early part of the book of Acts, we, we see the Holy Spirit coming onto the church, onto the Christians there as God is saying, I, I, I sanctify this, I'm setting this apart, I want my church to grow. My son has just come back into heaven and I'm now sending the Spirit, the literal word that we read there is helper, I'm going to send my helper to you. And we have no indication by, by Scripture that the Spirit's ever left. The Spirit is still here with us, and when we become Christians, we get a portion of that. The Spirit dwells inside of us. We've sung about that this morning. The Spirit is in us. We look through the Lord's glory, and we are being transformed into His image through the Spirit of the Lord. Through God's Spirit, we grow. Through God's people, we grow. Through God's Word, we grow. But you're sitting there thinking, I know this. This is the very basics. What I want to spend the majority of the time and the rest of the time we have together is looking at three kind of out-of-the-box ways that I think we see in Scripture where God helps us grow in one way or another. God uses trouble to teach us to trust Him. God uses problems. God uses frustrations. God uses the things that you and I avoid like the plague to teach us to trust him. If you're if you were on our email list yesterday, we talked about this idea. I'm talking about this idea of God using bad things, the things that you and I wish could won't get over quick enough. Saying, God, take this away. I don't need this in my life. I don't want this in my life. And there's nothing wrong with that, asking God to take things away from us. We're going to look here in a moment. When when Jesus, when he was being spit upon, when he was going through, he said, God, if there's any other way. For this to happen, will you make it be so? But God uses these situations to build us up. He uses these situations. And in fact, if you think back in your spiritual walk with Christ, my guess is that some of the most formative times, some of the times when you have grown the absolute most in your faith, now we don't recognize it in the moment most of the time, but if we're looking back, hindsight being twenty twenty. Most of the times that you and I have grown the very most in our faith have been in some of the darkest hours of our life because God by design has and he uses these opportunities. We're going to see that God doesn't make bad things happen. God does not tempt us. God does not punish us. It doesn't work that way. But God is going to use opportunities that happen to us to help build us up and to teach us. Look in Romans chapter 5 starting in verse 3 says, not only so, but we also glory, some of your Bibles might say the word rejoice, we also glory, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Have you ever connected these? It's a verse that we've read before. I know you're familiar with it, but have you, have you connected in your own life the bad things that happen, and God's plan at all. Have you ever thought that the things that you're going through, the bad things, the hardships, God is putting and using and saying, listen, I'm going to build you up through this suffering, 
it's going to build perseverance. It's going to build character. And through that character, you're going to have the hope in my son. When you have absolutely nothing else to lean on, when you and I are so low that we have no earthly way to lean on anything else other than God is when God chooses to build us up sometimes at the very most, at the absolute fastest rate. I put in my email to you yesterday that that the way I always tell it to people is that when we are broken, when we are the lowest in our life, God sees the absolute most cracks in us, in our shields, in our facades, and he is able to work his love and his spirit into our life to help build us up. It says here that suffering leads to hope. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. This is right before Jesus is about to be crucified. He knows what's coming. He knows Peter is going to deny him. He knows, Ju- he knows Judas is going to betray him. He knows of what's going to come on the cross, the physical uh, torture that's going to go into his body. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of, de- of death. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is going through a hardship. And ultimately, God is going to use that to help us grow And he's going to help use situations like this to help us grow on the other end. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 35 and 36, it says, Going a little farther, uh, tell to the ground and pray that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. When we're talking about God's will, when God uses trouble in our life, even Jesus Christ fell to his knees and said, God, if there is any other way, this suffering is a lot. If there's any other way to make this happen, will you do it? But you notice the end here, and this is the takeaway for us. He says, not my will, but your will. It's not what I want. I don't understand this in the moment, but I trust that you do. When God uses trouble in our life, we always look and look to the posture that Jesus gave us an example of. There's nothing wrong with asking God, saying, God, will you take this away? Jesus did. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, is there another way to make this happen? Jesus did. But what is wrong is when we start going and saying, God, I'm going to do something different on my own, because even though I don't understand it, I'm going to try. I think I know better than you. Jesus never entered that into his mind. He said, God, it's not my will. It's not, if there's another way, I'd prefer it, but it's not my will. It's your will that's ultimately going to be done. God uses temptations to teach us obedience. God uses temptations in our life to help teach us obedience. I want to look here in Scripture here in a moment, in James chapter 1 and verse 13. Because I want you to know, and I want you to look in Scripture, if you've never seen this verse, I want you to see this, to recognize that God does not tempt us. There's nothing wrong, we'll look at this here in a moment, there's nothing wrong, sin is not in temptation. Jesus himself was tempted. There are people that are sitting here this morning that are thinking, that, that are feeling guilt 
over temptation when in fact Jesus, the Christ, who was sinless, we know from Scripture, was tempted. God does not tempt us, but he will use temptations to help teach us. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's not what God is in the business of. God does not punish us. God does not put temptations in our life to, to, to teach us something. God does not tempt anyone. But God will use temptations that are already there. He will use flaws in us that he did not design. But when sin entered the world, you and I made mistakes that were not part of God's plan. But he's going to use these opportunities to help teach us. Matthew 4 and verse 1, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want you to notice something here. I was reading through this earlier in the week, studying for this, and I don't know how many times I've read this verse over my lifetime, but it never occurred to me. You notice here that it says the Spirit is leading Christ into the wilderness. You and I sometimes feel guilty over temptations, but not only was Jesus tempted and remained sinless, so we know temptation is not a sin in and of itself, but the Spirit here, it's capital S, it's talking about the Holy Spirit led Jesus to be tempted. It wasn't like Jesus fell backwards into temptation. This was God's plan. He sent the Spirit to guide Jesus into the wilderness to allow him to be tempted. Why? Because God uses temptations to help us grow. He doesn't tempt us, but he uses the temptations that are already there to build us up. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because he was 100% man. Christ knew, God knew that he was 100% man and he had to be tempted like man to make him the perfect sacrifice. But he was also 100% deity. He, he was sinless. He was perfect. God uses temptation sometimes to help us learn obedience, to help us grow. It says in Matthew 4 and verse 10, what was Jesus' response just in the same way that when Jesus had all of this grief on his heart, he said, God, will you take it away? But his response is what's important. He says, not your will, but mine. He was tempted. We're tempted. We're alike in that way. But what's his response? Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Temptation is not sinful. Giving in to temptation is when we begin to, to enter into sin and of course this is where Jesus differs from us he said Satan leave it is written that I'm going to worship the Lord your God it's not the temptation it's the giving in and, and, and Jesus clearly made that separation and said Satan depart from me I have no interest in what you're offering we have that same option we don't choose to take it very often but we have that available to us to say Satan Leave. I have no interest in what you're tempting me with. I am going to spend that energy and that time worshiping the Lord my God. Temptation does not equal sin. If someone has told you that over, over time, please, we just looked at scripture that proves that that's not the case. Jesus was tempted yet remained sinless. Temptation by itself does not equal sin. But it's when we give in to temptation that we begin to sin and where we separate ourselves from God and where we have to be like Christ and be willing to turn away from this. And lastly, as we close up here this morning, God uses trespasses to teach us to forgive. God uses trespasses. When people 
sin against us, when people do evil, bad things to us, when they say things that tear us down, when they do things that betray our trust, he uses these opportunities to teach us to forgive. Christ reminds us that if we are not willing to forgive, that then when, when the time comes, he, the Father will not forgive us either. That forgiveness is at the heart of Christianity. If we look in Matthew 27 and verse 39, it says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you, uh, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. They're mocking Jesus. Come down from the cross. If you are the Son of God, in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and he and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. They tore Jesus down in every possible way. They beat him. They insulted him. They spit on him. They cursed at him. This is the ultimate picture of, of, of terrible trespasses happening against us. We have those in our life, hopefully not to this extreme. But you and I have these things in our life, and what is Jesus' response? We look here in, in, in a moment, and after this passage, Jesus says, forgive them. He says, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. They cast lots for his clothing, and then ultimately he was crucified. One of the very last things that Jesus did while he was here on this earth was asking God to forgive them of the things that they were saying and doing to him because they didn't understand what they were doing wrong. He says, Lord, forgive them. What is your next step this morning? We're talking about growth. We're talking about growing in terms of our spiritual maturity. Maybe it's some, somebody ha has trespassed against you. Somebody has said something. Somebody has done something to tear you down and you have not gotten to a place where you're able to forgive them. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe there's something in your life that, that isn't what it should be and God is using it to help teach you obedience. Maybe you're a, a, someone who has never even considered becoming a follower of Jesus, and this morning, you want to make that step. We all have next steps to take. We all are able to grow in one way or another. God wants us to use even the bad. We understand using His Word, using His Spirit, using His people. We get that. But when He begins to use trespasses, when He begins to use temptations, when He begins to use the bad things in our life to teach us things, I encourage you, Pray harder, because those are the times when God is forming you the very most, that when you're able to grow spiritually the very most. We see examples of Christ where even in, in, in midst of insults, in the midst of temptations, in the midst of trespasses, he's still ultimately focused on his Father. And I hope that's what we'll do this morning also. This morning, if you have any need, if you're not a Christian and you would like to become one, if there's something we've talked about this morning that is weighing on your heart that you would like the prayers and the support of this congregation, we'd love to help you with that also. If you have any need, would you come forward as we stand and as we sing?